Hey, yeah, quarantine episode 41. Last week we were talking about God's love, sovereignty of God, and covered under 10 minutes was just over 10, didn't make it. We're going to look at the opposite or the other kind of majority. It is not the majority, but the other view, um, major view, maybe that's the better term, on election. It's called the prescient view of election. Um, as we look at God's love. And again, when I went to the debate on this view, the one who held to the, I think, the biblical position, which God elects, right, and predestines because he's sovereign, he just exegeted Romans 9, just looked at the text. While the other person had to pick and choose, many times out of context, other passages all over Scripture to kind of build this picture of what it might look like. So what we're going to do tonight, we're just going to exegete the text. What does the text have to say? We're not going to cherry pick scripture to hope to give us this view. But this is this view of election that is common. This pressing view of election. This is what R.C. says. The most common alternative to the Reformation understanding of this text is called the prescient view of election. This view is based on a particular understanding of the relationship between God's foreknowledge and his election. And this idea, God peers down through the corridors of time and sees in advance what the future decisions of his peoples will be. Those whom he sees will choose Christ. He elects unto salvation. And those whom he sees will reject Christ, he rejects. So on the scene, God in eternity past plays out, think of it this way, like a computer simulation of the world. And he looks down in this computer simulation and he sees in this computer simulation this liberal free will that all mankind has and those who choose God in in that simulation he chooses in reality and those that reject God in that simulation he rejects in our reality right so it's up to the decision that we would have made had God not chosen but that goes so contrary to the text of scripture, both here in Romans and as we're going to look at John 6. Okay. Now, one of the things I think it, it's most apparent in Romans is Romans, look at Romans 9, 10. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It, the, this idea, this present view of election, just dismisses this text, because even it says here, before they were born, before they could do anything good or bad, it wasn't their works that, cho- that made it to where God chose. It was because of his sovereign will. But the prescient view, again, is based on Jacob and Esau doing good or evil. If Paul was teaching the prescient view here, why did he point out the election occurred before the children had done good or evil? Paul's point 
was manifestly that election is not based on any activity, any work, or as we see later, any choice of man. Paul sets the ground of election not in the will of man, but in the will of God, so that God's perfect purpose of election might stand. It is the will of God, not the will of man. Let's look at John 6, 60-68. That's where we're going to be today. When many of his disciples heard, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the Spirit of life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who were who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. If you look, remember back to John 3, this is why Jesus had to tell Nicodemus that one must be born again. Because in flesh, in our death, we cannot achieve eternal life. But when we are born of the Spirit, when we are born again, suddenly we have a hunger and thirst for the Lord. Here in chapter 6, Jesus reaffirmed this truth that the flesh has no profit, it does no good. But those who hold to the prescient view are people who are not regenerate choosing Christ, securing their own election, and thus profiting everything. It's essentially saying, yeah, in our flesh I can choose Christ, and then I become a child of spirit. They may grant that mankind is weakened by the fall, but not to such a degree that people must be born again before they can exercise faith. Instead, they teach that first one must have faith, and then one will be reborn. And this is the exact opposite of the biblical order in which regeneration or rebirth precedes faith. And we see that over and over again in the words of Jesus. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. This analogy really helped me, and I was wrestling with this in seminary. And that is, Many people with the pressing view will say, well, God here essentially abuses the freedom of a child to make them a Christian, right? So it's like if there was a young girl in the living room and the parents wanted her in the other room. Well, instead of giving her the option, they might say, the parents pick her up and force her to go in the other room and put her down. the view of the Reformation is that the gift is freely offered. And when the child knows the beauty of the gift, they will always go into the other room. It would be like if the parent said, child, your favorite ice cream is waiting for you in the other room. The parent knew that child is hungry and the parent knew that child loved ice cream. And the parent also knew that a hundred times after a hundred times, that child is going to choose to go in the other room. The heart is changed. The beauty of what is in the other room suddenly becomes manifest. 
What Christ changes in us at the new birth is a desire for him. When suddenly we are no longer of the flesh, but we live by the Spirit, a hunger for God manifests itself in our hearts so that we long for the Savior. We long for a relationship with Jesus. And he puts that there. We see the beauty of the gospel. And in our flesh, the gospel is not good news. The gospel is condemning. We hate it. But when our, the scales are removed from our eyes, when we are no longer blind, we see God for who he is. And that is beautiful. And so that's why we cling and hold to what I think is the biblical view of God's sovereignty and God's love, which is that God is sovereign and God chooses whom he will because he is good. We'll continue the love of God later this week. Peace. Peace.